Hey guys, Sean here. Welcome back to the second part of the Hard Luck Show at San Diego's Finest, the car show event sponsored by Tribal. If you haven't listened to the first portion, episode 202, go back, sample a bit of that, and it will set the stage for today's episode. This episode is fantastic. No disrespect to anyone who was on the last episode, but this one is way more deep. I can't wait to bring it to you. But before I do, last we left off, I was meeting with you to see what pieces make the cut and which get the finger. So without further ado, let's jump back in. Get to work, motherfucker. All right, what's the next one? Uh, you know what, man? Mm. This might be two episodes. Okay, let's make it two. Like now that I'm starting, we're going over it, I'm starting to think it's a lot of footage <clears throat> yeah but dude you know what this is evidence of motherfucker that your current appreciation of what's happening is a little off no because a lot of times i leave a lot of stuff out it's just not interesting or like there's more that's interesting i think a lot of this is interesting so it's hard to cut yeah well i mean anyway, I, don't cut it out chato didn't last that long i thought it was like a 10 20 no. minute combo yeah it was it was really we supposed to then what happened then we went back down we walked around again yeah and then we met i can't remember man oh no we invented interviewed the wife oh that was so good <laughs> so listen this is how the hard luck show rolls man like yeah, we're kind of a male-oriented fucking podcast, I suppose. But when it comes right down to it, we like talking to the to the to the women that are either in front of, next to, or behind the man. And we went looking for the head dude from the Click Car Club. In fact, Bobby pulled us aside and said, "Go talk to Antonio Tony." I think that was his name. So we went looking for him, and instead, we found his wife. We found the vice president of the car club. But <laughs> we did. He, but he was like, nah, nah. He didn't want to talk at all. Yeah. Tommy, Weird. Yeah. Like, I think I think his nickname in the club is Whispers. They were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird, right? It was almost like he thought we were on a, like an undercover sting. We're like, hey, man, can we talk to you about the club? He's like, not me. And they're like, you're the vice president. He's like, yeah, not me. So then we were Weird. just standing there and the lady's like, I'll talk. We're like, who are you? Yeah, who the hell are you? And she's like, I'm the wife of the president. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. First lady of click, come on in. Disculpa, dispensa. Hey, um, we're the Hard Luck Show podcast. We're invited by Bobby Tribal. And he said that we should come talk to some people from click. Should we? Not right now, not me. Why not? You? No? Is he shy? what you want right is he shy <laughs> he ain't shy so it, it, is, is a case pending or he doesn't want any <laughs> a case pending <laughs> is that funny <laughs> what do you want to know whatever i mean first of all uh bobby said for us to talk to tone from click okay where's tone let me find hi uh, that's his mom and his brother let me find tone he right. oh maybe he went that way so, my husband is 
George. He's the president. Yeah, right. He said Georgia Tone. Oh, okay. All right, so why don't you tell us about the woman behind the man clip? <laughs> Look at that face she just made. The woman? You mean I'm the I'm behind the scenes, but I'm the one kind of I'm saying helping you're the everything out. I'm you're the woman and every man needs a strong woman. That, you're right. Right? And, and At least that's that. what my wife tells me. Right? I'm that, right? So true. Yeah. That is you. Right. So what makes you strong? Um all the struggles that we've gone through. We built this is our car here, the, the Which 58, one? the blue one. How, tell us about because you know what we hear guys tell us about the struggles of the car all the time. Yeah. We rarely have the women tell us about the struggles. Why don't you tell us about the struggles? The, uh, the struggle is real. Let me tell you. Um, dealing with um, everyone, and the people from the upholstery, the people from the. Actually, we waited a year and a half with the Chevy shop just to get the car in for paint. Right. Uh, that struggle is real. We paid fifteen thousand dollars deposit. Right. Just to get the car on a wait list. To be um, in line. To be in line. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? One of our friends is Gabby Chacon, and he's one of these guys that builds the cars for people. Okay. And his, he said that his waiting list is two years long. Yeah, we waited about a year and a half. Man. Yep. And Chevy shop. Obviously, it's worth the wait. It is now. While you're going through it, it's not worth the wait because people are telling you, oh, yeah, in a year I'm going to have your car done or I'm going to have this. That car sat up there for a total of three years before we got it back. Because they did complete body work, restoration. They got rid of all the, the rust. Um, the frames got done here by, um, I don't know if you guys know, uh, Conejo from the um, Universal Radiator Shop. He did the full, it was a full frame off right. uh, restoration. So he welded all the frame. Um, it's beautiful. It's immaculate if you see it. Um, so just to assemble everything and get everything together and to get people, <laughs> there's amazing people behind the scenes, but to get them all in, uh, together right. is, is a struggle. That's what leadership is about. Is it like project management for you? <laughs> it's project management. It's like give up all my stuff that I want. I didn't travel for years. We didn't do anything to our house for years because every little bit of extra money went into that car. Right. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. How do you stay patient during that time? Like, what are the strategies? There was a lot of times where I wasn't patient. Like, so what would you do? You'd be like, that's it. We're going to Tahiti. Yeah. I don't care. You know what? It's it, When the kids were little, our kids are all grown now, it was a family affair. So we all would travel together. The kids enjoyed it. Um, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy um, riding in the car. I enjoy traveling. So he's lucky because you can't find many women that will back their husband up. On a this, car thing. On this car thing. Especially right. sacrificing. Right. A, a lot. But so what are the strategies then? So this, what do you do? Do you get, like during that, let's say, because there's a lot, stories we hear that a lot. Yeah. Where it's like this gem, right? Yeah. But you got to wait for it for about two years. <laughs> yeah. Right? And it's coming in process. Yeah. And maybe some of the people that are working on it aren't the most organized. That's exactly what we're dealing with. Right. Deadlines don't mean jack shit yep. to those people. Yep. Okay. And you can pay them all the money you want. It doesn't mean it's going to get done any sooner. They're an artist. Yeah. Right? And you have to be patient with them because you know, you're, this guy, like Mix, Mix from Majestics, he's the one who put our car together. He's an amazing car builder, amazing. But he's slow. Like, he takes his time. He pays attention to detail. And it that wasn't fast enough for me. I was like, I need this shit ready now. Right. Because I want to ride. I right. want to travel. Right. And just knowing that I knew what the end project was going to be. Yeah. That's what gave me, uh, I don't know, uh, satisfaction. Like, I know what it's going to be like. Yeah. And I can't wait to see when we're done with it because so many people anticipated the end of it. Yeah. To see people's expressions. 
Right. Okay. So wait a second. Let's slow it down for a second. This is very fascinating. That's my. That's uh, this is our one of our sons. Okay. <laughs> he looks very patient. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> He's not. So 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 this is interesting. So because what you're sounding a lot like is like a pope who's told Michelangelo yeah. like. Yo, we got to paint the Sistine Chapel, motherfucker. Like, yeah. it's, it's going on 10 years now. Like, yeah. what's going on? So, do you go down while it's in process every once in a while and get a little car hit by looking at it and seeing where it's at? So, yeah. George kind of kept me away from it because I would get frustrated when I would get there and see that, like, hey, you only put one door handle on in the last five months. <laughs> he wouldn't let me go Are anymore. you sure you're not sisters with my wife? Are you sure <laughs> right? you're not related? <laughs> Right. Yeah, he kept me away because I would get so pissed off. I I don't have patience. He's a little bit more patient than me, and he has no patience. Right. Um, so he kept me away from a lot. How, until does, how does your face, so your husband doesn't even have to hear you say you're all of a sudden getting, right? He just looks oh, at you. Oh, he can see me. Yeah, so what is it? What do you do? Do your eyes start twitching? <laughs> my blood starts boiling. Right, do you, you get like a face, look on your face like... I told him I wanted to drive my car through someone's house before, the front door, <laughs> like, you know, but it's... And then he tells me, what, do you want me to beat someone up? Like, I'm just going to go you, jail, the car will never get done. And what did you say? You were like, and well, I, like, I mean, that might not be a bad idea. No, no, I don't want you to do that, but you got to put pressure on these people. And he's like, I can't, I've done so much. He would go every week. Right. And he would be calling them every week. Right. What did you guys do now? Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. All right, so you been, so you were climbing the mountain, right? You guys did what you had to do to get to the top. When did you finally see it in its final form? In its final form was just right before we went to the Arizona Super Show out in um, Glendale. Yeah. We just busted this out in March. Of this year? Of this year. So this is a COVID car. It's a COVID car. Well, God it damn. happened before COVID. Right. And then you would think COVID would speed it up because, you know, people <laughs> didn't do anything. COVID became an, an excuse for everything. So and this is what happened because we did Lindy's upholstery, right? And the guy that was going to do our seats because we chose what colors we wanted, what design we wanted. The guy was stuck in Mexico, so he couldn't come over here. So we said, all right, how about you take the shit over there to Mexico and have him work on it while he's over there? Right. So that's what we were able to do because I'm like, no, this is going to make us lose a whole another year. Right. If this guy can't get the seats done, that was like the last part of the car before right. putting all the little details to it. Um, he did. He took it over there to Mexico. Junior from Wendy's went over there and picked it up. Brought it back and then inserted it into the car for us. Uh, beautiful. So it was a, it's a but, process. So when, did you like, like, was there an unveiling? Did you walk, did he drive it home? And he's like, <laughs> I want you baby doll now to come outside. I took all your abuse. Now come out and see this car. No, there was no unveiling. He just brought it home yeah. and it was there in the garage. Um, I think we maybe went on a cruise that night. We took it for a cruise, a spin around to kind of get the kinks of it out. And how was that? Amazing. It was. At that moment, it was worth all my frustrations. Right. And all the two hundred plus thousand dollars that went into it. And what? And what was the experience like? And where did you cruise? Uh, we went down Highland. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, we went down Highland. We took it through his old neighborhood. He grew up from Logan, so we took it and drove it through Logan. He went and showed us some of his childhood friends. Um, and I think just him and I kind of. You kind of rekindled that moment because we had our 64 before, so it was always he and I and the kids. Now it was just he and I, so it was a moment that it was cool. It was awesome. It was worth it. Right? Did you see like on everyone's faces? Could you see that they could appreciate like, yeah, this is a work of art. Yeah. So now people were always because we had our 64, and people always said we're curious to see what you do with this because right. the 64 was it was beautiful too. People were like, wow, it was beautiful. It was. 
when we came out with it, it was kind of, it was um, uh, past its time. Like, it was, how do I say it? Um, it was something that was built, that hadn't been built before. Right. It was ahead of its time, kind right. of to say. So they were like, wow, we're curious to see what you do with this. And I wanted something simple. I didn't want all this crazy engraving and pinstriping. I wanted something that we could pull out in 10 years, and it still is beautiful. I wanted something like that. So I helped. Something I chose that the color. wouldn't be dated. How, what went into yeah. choosing the color? Um, it was really funny. So he wanted black. And I'm like, no, everyone has black cars. Like, they're so boring. They're beautiful, but there's so many of them. I'm like, I want something that's going to stand out a little bit different. We were driving down the street one day in a BMW, an older BMW passed by. Hi. And um, I'm like, oh, that's the color. That's the color. That's the color I want for the car. So blue. I chose the color. Blue. What kind of blue is that? Um, you know what? I, to be honest, I don't even. People ask us for the code all the time. I'm like, I don't know. It's like an 07 BMW color. Right. That's what it is. Oh shit! Sorry. That's Spilling all right. my drink. That's all right. And then, and then the, um, and then sort of. Uh, so you said you you wanted to be a little bit more classic, not as much ostentation. Yes. So if you look at it, it's very. Like the under and undercarriage is immaculate. There's a mural under there, um, uh, and, it, uh, and it's kind of a. a it, we always say it's my husband, and when he was younger, he, it, the car is named Maton 58, which is killer. Um, so it's, it's a guy with a, a gun. You know, mm -hmm. he's he's all posted up with an SD hat, kind of the image of my husband. Yeah. Um, and it's just. It's beautiful. Like the whole underneath is done. Everything is chromed. If it's not chromed, it's been uh, welded and painted, and it's just it's just immaculate. And I wanted something not to be where it's going to be dated. So the seats we chose are not original 58 seats. We chose the actual fabric that we want. It's um, leather, and then we chose the inserts that we wanted it. So it looks original, but it's not original to a 58. Right. Like from but I wanted to keep the car as original as I could. And we did a dark top. In the beginning, we wanted a light top. And then I saw a car come out with a light top, and I'm like, no, we need to go dark, because I don't want to look like that car. I can tell that our listeners are now wondering, did your, did your, did your husband make any decisions related to the car? <laughs> he made some. I let him make a few decisions. <laughs> His decisions were basically to fork out the money. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, you know what? He let me make a lot of the choices. He was really cool and like, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And how should we do this? And how should we do that? Um, he was real, like he wanted like those rims. He chose those rims. Um, the things that he wanted, he chose. But he was real open to letting me choose a lot of the car. Do you think that having a a project that involves both partners actually helps a marriage? I think so. Because there was times where he was losing his mind, and I was like, hey, calm down, you know, just wait, it'll be... And then there was times where I was losing my mind, and I'm like, I can't take this anymore. Our kitchen was falling apart. And he's like, give me two more years, and we'll redo the kitchen. And I was like, two more fucking years, we ain't gonna have a kitchen. Right. Um, so we kind of, we, we balance each other out. And I think that that helped him, because he, he loses his patience pretty easy, and I can help calm him down, and vice versa. It, it was a, definitely a project of he and I. So it's a language of love. <laughs> if you want to call it that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what's it like to be um, a woman in a car club? Because we generally talk to dudes. Yeah, I know. And it's funny. So I'm not in the car club. They don't have any women in their car club. Right. So I'm just the wife behind the scenes. Right. Um, but you're wearing a shirt. I wear the shirt. I wear it proud. Right. 
Um, the guy that's actually in the club didn't really want to talk. I guess he's shy or something. <laughs> and he's actually the vice president. Right. He was like, that's not me. I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't know anything. I wasn't there. I don't know who that See, was. And they're not really talkers. Bobby and George, they're not. George will talk your head off if you don't have a camera and a microphone in front of him. Right. He'll talk your head off. But if you put a camera and a microphone in front of him, he ain't going to talk. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah, it that's is. interesting. But yeah, behind the scenes, it's a, you have to have a lot of patience. A lot of patience. Right. That was that was a cool a cool talk. And so we talked to her and we got the whole load on her. If you really want a car that's gonna stop people, you want a car that is gonna you know, you're the president of a car club in, in Southern California. This is what you gotta go through in order to handle that shit. That was great. She was great. And then and then what did we do? I think that's when we t- interviewed the Rice King. Yeah. Because it seemed like we talked to her for a long time, and then we were walking by, and we saw the Rice King. And then we were like, hey, why don't you come up? But we had also ordered food. Right. And then, and then you we and got I were good... looking at different chicks and, we're like, asking each other, like, would you bang that one? Would you bang that one? <laughs> we were doing that. Sort of, you know. Standard. Standard right? guy yeah. analysis. Like, yeah, yeah. And then, like, going into weird, you know you know, theoretical sex theories, you know what I mean? Right. Not, nothing that could ever actually happen because we're both married and all that other stuff, but just right. like, you know what I mean? Like, well, that one probably on a Wednesday might be pretty good, but on a Friday you might just, you know, leave town, you know, shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow we wound up waiting for the rice from rice or death. We wound up talking to uh, the rice king from Guam and he gave us a great, full-throated, super passionate pitch about why Guam fried rice is not your typical fried rice, why it's a meal, not a fucking side dish. And uh, we just did it right there on the spot. By the way, that motherfucking Ray Ray, that guy's got some hustle. Yeah, yeah, motherfucking Ray Ray. Yeah, you try to up some Rice Krispie Treat. He's like, hey, you want Rice Krispie Treat with that? I'm like, how long are you working with us, dude? Because when you're done working there, you come with me, man. You got some hustle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kate, we have a thing, you know, it's like each ring, you know, and like when your team's averaging, there's a certain average. When they're averaging like $23 per person, that means they're saying all the things. You right. Know? Like you, like I don't want people order takers. You know right. What I, mean? I want right. you to sell the experience. Right. Sell the, sell the experience. Sell me that I'm here to spend my money. Right. But I'm not going to spend it if you don't tell me what I'm buying. Right. I need you to tell me this is America. I need you to tell me what I'm buying. Right. You need the egg. Why? It goes with fried rice. But it got eggs in it, but not over easy drizzle on that shit. Oh, oh I love that. Like, we know the best way to experience our food. Yeah. But if you don't tell the customer that, they missing out. You know what I mean? I got a million questions now, but I want to wait till we get to the space so we can really get to it because yeah, yeah. that's a lot of knowledge you just dropped. I mean, yeah. setting aside all the other stuff, what you just laid out was take some people like 10 years to figure out in business. Yeah, I was telling my, like, I took my, ne- my, my nephew. He just came back. I told him, I said... You know how you get good at something? By making a lot of mistakes. And to separate the dummies from the smart people is the smart people only make that mistake one time. They get it, they put it in their bag, and they make all the other mistakes. Right. But they never make the same mistakes twice. Right. The dummy, he don't know. He just make the same mistake over and over and can't even get to the second mistake. Right. You know what I mean? To evolve. You can't, you gotta evolve. 
and you got to make all the mistakes before you're good at anything. Mom, that's you true. You have to. You have to. The mistakes make you better. When you take an L, most people say it's a loss. It's a lesson. You take an L, it's a lesson, not a loss. Right. And it changes the whole perspective, and now the game's in your advantage. Now you fighting. Now you not worried about what's on the score. You just worried about when you're gonna score. You know, you focused on getting the fucking the fucking ball in the fucking hoop. When did you start out in business? I, I had a paper route at a very young age. You did know? you? Yeah, like I. I had like a rough childhood, like a lot of us did in the 80s, right? 70s, 80s. And um, it was the way parents raised kids. Right. And so mine was like, if you want to fucking, you want money, you want them shoes. This is how I started in business. My mom and dad would always buy me the wax shit. All my friends always like their uncles or whatever sold dope or what, so they always had the fucking dopest shit. Right. And I had like kangaroos because my dad was in the army and he went to Korea. Right. I had kangaroos with the pocket and they were like, you got the Velcro joints? What are those? You know, like <laughs> they had pumas and fucking shell toes. Right. So if I wanted that shit, I had to go hustle. So I got a paper route, but what I didn't know with the paper route is that it made me all city. And back then, you really was like, if you was from the neighborhood, you had to stay at that neighborhood. You don't really fuck around going to every neighborhood. But the paper boy got the pass. Right. Deliver the paper. That's part of the job. Part of the fucking job, you know. So I would fucking deliver papers, and I got friendly with all the hoods. And the next thing you know. Like, I started hearing about the weed game. Right. And I knew that, like, this neighborhood sold the Piff. This neighborhood sold the Mecky. And but I could go in between. And so, in between the paper routes, I'd be like, yo, I'm going over here. And the OG would be like, yo, come run that. And I was good, you know. I was an honest kid. They saw me hustling already. And I would just boom, boom, boom. And next thing you know, my paper route was more than just a paper route for a little while. You it, know? Was a paper it was a route. paper route. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, and from there, man, I just never, like, I never, like, waited for someone to tell me how to get mine. I was always thinking about how to get mine. Right. I never was a malicious person. I never was, like, one to intentionally, like, go hurt some people or a vengeful person or any of that. And so just having a good outlook and a good vibe is really what kind of navigated me to the things that I do today. I never abandoned my hobbies. I never felt like... I really had to like kill myself to earn. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just kept chasing what I love. Right. Whether it paid or it didn't, I never met like the monetary value of, of what I got through what I did be the thing that dictated why I loved something. You right. Know what I mean? And then eventually at some point you get rice or death, right? Yeah, yeah. This is way, this is because I was a, this was. Ten years in my head. This right? this food truck was ten years. Ten in years your... in my head. And Where then, did it start? When were you on the beach? As a and... kid, as a kid, you know, like fried rice gets served to us like kids get pancakes out here you know wait um, where were you at that you got served fried rice i was growing up in guam hawaii california everywhere my dad moved sunday morning saturday morning we eating fried rice you know because um, it could feed everybody it was probably part of leftovers from last night it's funny because here in like the u.s fried rice is a side dish 
us, fried rice ain't a side dish. Fried rice is the whole meal. Right. You know, this isn't rice bowls. This is fried rice. This is like a mixture of stuff. It has know? everything. It has everything. What was Guam like back that. then? What was Guam like back then? Um, Guam is still... It was the, it's the same as it is now. Guam is like is like Hawaii in the 70s on some vibe like that. Like it's very local. I'll give you an example. When you honk your horn on Guam, yeah, it's to say hi or bye. It's never maliciously like get the fuck out of my way. It ain't no LA honk like, hey motherfucker, right? Get off your phone because you're gonna run into that pool like four or five times in the same day. It's gonna be awkward. Right. You might be with the kids and shit, and the dudes in the line like, hey, you remember me, fool? And it's really about the toe-to-toe. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. Guam, they won't pull them. They'll beat your ass in the parking lot. They ain't pulling no scrap or blasting you, but they'll be like, excuse me, can we have a man-to-man talk? Come over here. Beat your ass and send you back to the fam. Right. Up, you know? Because <laughs> you was out of pocket. Right. It's too small to be that kind of person. Everybody's going to make a mistake. So you got to have some kind of graciousness to that. For the people that don't know, where is Guam in relation to Hawaii? It's eight hours past Hawaii heading east. So it's 13 degrees north, 144 degrees east is the center of Guam. And how big is Guam? Uh, Guam's 35 miles long, 17 miles wide, they say, when it's low tide. When it's low tide. When it's low tide. Which means the most land. The most land, yeah. That's by Mariana Trench. Yeah, it's right on the shelf of the Marianas Trench, which is the deepest point of the ocean, right? Yeah. It's where Jacques Cousteau spent a lot of his life, like, trying to, like, get to the bottom. Like, I, I, from what I understand, they've only ever been able to measure the Marianas Trench by sound. Right. Because there's no equipment that can go down Strong and handle the enough. pressure. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because if you think about it, it's like seven miles down or something yeah, like that. Yeah, crazy. So the level of pressure yeah. of all that water on top of you just crushes everything like a grape. And so technically they say that the Mount Lam Lam, which is a mountain on Guam, yeah. is actually the biggest mountain in the world if you measured it from the bottom of the sea level. If you measured it from the bottom of the Mariana Trench all the way up, to the top because the island is just like that. They say it's the tallest mountain in the world. Mount Lamlam. Mount Lamlam. I fucking love that. Yeah, yeah. It's a little. I go back on the 18th to check the fam. Yeah. Two years. So. I'm going oh, because back. of COVID and all that. COVID. A little bit of traveling. I couldn't make it back. Um, we had a big year in Europe last year, and um, I couldn't make it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because outside of this, I do some jujitsu business, you know, in Europe. So we were talking about that. Before. Yeah. So, um, on Rice or Death, you always knew that fried rice was something special and unique and you wanted to you know take it. something special to me? I just, I always tripped that it wasn't here and it's so delicious. And any of my friends that would spend the night or come over and eat fried rice, they'd be like, what? what? This is dope. This isn't like fried rice at the Chinese thing because we all think about Chinese fried rice. Right, you know, right. You go to Hawaii and you get Portuguese sausage in your fried rice and you're like, oh, this isn't like House of House of Chin B or whatever. Right, this right. Is, this is some different fried rice. Right. And so I always wanted to do something indigenous and uh, something that was culturally close to me myself, but I wanted to present it in a way that it was for everybody. Right. They say like some people when they see art, uh, when they uh, or they hear music, they see color. You know. Yeah. Um, when I eat delicious food, I hear music. Like, I'll hum to myself. I'll hear music. I'm 
A long time ago here in San Diego, there was a band called Rice. These motherfuckers were hectic. Punk rock. Hectic. And they were just, every song was about rice. And they always, like, it always stuck to me. So I'd be making fried rice and thinking, like, looks like a fucking mosh pit because it's all these different things, leftover things, kind of like... Like society's leftovers. That's the misfits, right? The misfits. Then you put all the misfits in one place, like a punk rock show or a hip-hop show, and then we let out all our aggression through a a mosh pit, and it comes together in this harmonious thing that's beautiful to us. Right. Like, it's like like the most disarray making the perfect thing. Well... The perfect thing you yeah. just said it. They're calling my name because our, our rice is ready. So yeah, we're gonna yeah. go. We're gonna do put it, it to the it. test. Thank do it, you. Do it. Yeah, man. Right. And then we ate. Then we sat down to eat our rice. And then we got the, the dude from PLD, Marcus. Uh, Marcus. Uh, he and, was cool, uh, dude. He and we was... got him to come up to the. We saw him when Sweat we were box. eating the rice. Right. And then and he's like, he came, "How you guys? Oh, who did we talk to before Marcos? No, Professor Denise, didn't we? And because Marcos thought we, he's like, I thought you guys forgot about me. I'm like, fuck no. I think she was last, right? No, you wanted her to go last because you're audio engineer. Ah, In the middle of that yeah. discussion, you were like, and what do we say at this time? And because I'm an improv natural, I went with it." <laughs> I didn't say no. I said right. yes. And well, maybe we can save her for last. I okay. Say so that. if you're hearing this wind up, just know that Marcos comes before her. Anyway, we talked to Marcos. Marcos gave us all the inside shit that a fucking super big, fucking like powerful, wealthy, talented fucking guitarist of a major band does on his off time. Right. 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 About music, man. There was. I, I need to take my own advice because then you're like, I thought you wanted to keep it short. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well, you know, you just give me the sign, whatever. We're on your time. We appreciate you coming up here and everything. We understand it's a family day, so yeah, yeah. anytime we get, uh, it's totally appreciated. Got it. But um, in terms of uh, guitar stuff, is there anything right now uh, that you're check one two check check check? Yeah. We good? Yep. We're All good. Right. All right, so we're here with Marcos from POD, but just just a friendly Saturday afternoon. We're here at Tribal Click, the car show. Um, first of all, uh, did you did Bobby invite you down? Or? Yes, yes, he did. Um, actually, he invited me and Sonny down because we had to pick one car uh, for the the POD Choice Award. Right. So nice. uh, that was a cool little thing to go through yesterday. We kind of walked through and narrow, narrowed it down to about two. Is there like a criteria that you're working with? Not really. It's just vibe and like, oh, we like this one. I could see myself rolling this one or, you know, riding this one. You know what I mean? Right. When do they announce the winner? Uh, later today, I asked Bobby and he was like, I was like, I'm going to, a, you know, something. Yeah. I got I to take off, but I won't be here for that. And so anyway, which do you, I mean, by the time this hits, it'll already be announced. Which one uh, did POD choose? Uh, Money Talks. Oh, we saw that one. That's like a, that's a fucking cold ass. That's a yeah. light green. It's yeah. got like a money uh, yeah. theme that there's goes like on. like a chick in yeah. a like mural type thing no, right there. No, there's no mural on it. There's no, no, it's, no on, on it's the plaque. It's got a moon roof. On t- oh, yeah, there's a chick with there, a dollar bill in the yeah, front yeah, of the, yeah. Yeah. In the front of the, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, that one was sick. What did you think of uh, Final Judgment? I thought that was all right. I, I, I thought it was... For me personally, yeah, no yeah. offense. I mean, yeah, these are all beautiful pieces of art, like right. beautiful cars. Of course. But 
the candy stuff is is too much, man. Like, and some of the art is, it, I get it. It's like on steroids, steroids times twenty, maximalist. Right. And I'm like, eh, that's too much for me. It's too loud. Where, right. Where I like, you see, money talks is like, we could all want to cruise that bad boy and yeah. be like, this is this is a badass, you know, whip right here, dude. It's like badass in an understated way. Yeah. But I mean, it's not. When it's out on the street, I'm, it's it's gonna be above everything else out there, like, because it's not overly candied out. But right. when you see that car, you're just like, it's like so put together, right? Yeah, the beautiful. whole thing works. And that's uh, Majestics, right? Yeah, right. Have you been in car clubs? No, man. I'm I'm a motorcycle guy. Are you? And I've never done the whole you know MC thing, but I've been. You know, they try to recruit me a few times, and I'm like, dude, I'm a musician. I don't dude, I'm, how many hours I, in the day are yeah, there? Yeah, I go, I don't got time to be a slave. Right. You know, where I, I, you know, I have a family, and then I, I play music, I travel. I go, there's just no way. Right. So when you, do you ever actually ever get time for yourself, brother? Now with the pandemic, hell yeah. What did you, what did you do during that time? Like, what's your choice, like, hobby? Like, do you sit well, there and watch Housewives of Beverly Hills? What's your thing? Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm a, I'm a gamer. Are you? Yeah, what do you so play? play? What do you play? I, I just got my PS5, which is very hard to come by right now because all the factories are closed. Right. Or they're partially working. So right. San Diego will only get, like, from what I'm hearing, GameStop will get, like, 10 or 15. Right. And then they spread them around the county. And where I live, they got one. And I've been bugging the guy because they get the digital ones. I needed the disk drive one. It's a little right. more expensive because you can put in, like, like, PS4 games in there. Right. So... I finally got the call like a couple days ago, and he's all, hey, I have one, do you want it? And I'm all, I'm coming over right now. Zipped over there, bought it, got a new, uh, uh, another remote, a charging station, and a couple games, Resident Evil The Village, and Spider-Man Morales, uh, that one, and and obviously FIFA 2021. Right, right, and so, Listen, I had to, me personally, Sean's a gamer. Like, Sean's one of those dudes with a headset. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are you a PC gamer, I'm a though? PC gamer. Oh, yeah. you guys are hardcore. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm not there. I'm, I'm a, you know, I, PlayStation guy. I can't play, though, because if I play, then I'll never get anything else done. Yeah. So, I don't. I used to buy a lot of games. I used to game a lot of hours. But Dude, he was I got like. a kid now, man. Like, I can't. Yeah. Like, my kid well, doesn't. Maybe That's, when he gets older, I can pick it back up. But. Well, you're, you're usually a guy like yourself, what you're telling me, you're usually the guy that plays at night when everyone's in bed. I, I would, but, like, now I go to bed early because I wake up early and go to, like, the gym or whatever. Oh, well, see, yeah. so do I. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll be like, well, I guess I'm only getting four hours tonight because, you know what, I got to get up at six <laughs> right. and hit the gym. Right. I started working out at F45, that Mark Wahlberg Word spot. Yeah. yeah, how is that? Yeah. Dude, it's amazing um, because I was going to the gym and just kind of lax, kind of just doing my sets. This is like high intense hit interval training. Right. right. 45 minutes straight. Right. And it's mapped out, timer, and they're pushing you. Right. right. And you're just doing everything from... You know, strength to mobility, calisthenics, right? Uh, cardio, right? And then you're mixing it all in, so it's not the same stuff every day, right? And I've been trying to go like five to six days a week, right? So I did it today. If you follow me on Instagram, officialmarkelscuriel.com, yeah, you'll see I'll post a lot of that. So you'll probably get sick of, oh, this guy's posting his workout stuff up here. That's but, <laughs> but I I burned <laughs> seven hundred and thirteen calories 
within they, 45 dude, minutes. Dude, that's or... one stop at the fried rice uh, truck. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> but on top of that, you're still doing other things. Like, right. right. Walking around. Walking around, around and then you're like on your, on your bike or whatever. Right. I go, like right. to cruise my cruiser. You right. Know? So, you know, trying to live a more active life. Right. Because mentally, if you don't, like, you can get into a funk, man. Right. Man, all I can tell you, brother, is that I, too, when I when I hit law school, I was like, man, I can't I can't play any more of these games, yo. Yeah. yeah. And so I was, dude, check this out. I had this neighbor who was a gamer. Uh-huh. I mean, this dude didn't eat anything <laughs> except pizza. <laughs> all right? I swear to God, I'm not even making a yeah. joke. Yeah, one set of clothes and pizza and the games. Wow. Right. And he was one of those guys that if you went up against him in Halo, you wouldn't last more than two seconds. Oh, And you're God. like, I can't play you. They're called sweats. Is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah. That or bots. Or like, chats. Yeah. And my, my son got me up on those. He's like, oh, you're, these guys are a bunch of sweats. And yeah. I'm like, oh. That's the term, huh, for you guys. Yeah. No, I use it. I'm on. you're a sweat on me. Yeah, well, this dude, <laughs> this dude was that. And so then what would happen is, right, I would get a lot of work done, in, like, on a three-day weekend. Yeah. And I'd be like. I remember this guy. Do you remember that? Downstairs. Brady. Man. Yeah. Brady, if you're listening to this, you son of a bitch. Anyway, <laughs> so I go, like, I go, I go. I go, I go Brady, he, he's like, it was Call of Duty, yeah. right? And we are going to be on the same of team. Of course. Oh, okay. He calls me up, and he's like, hey, bro. Call of Duty. And I just finished so much work. It's three days. And I'm like, let's go. And so, you know, I just went downstairs. And I went in his apartment. And we were playing at 3 a.m. Oh, yeah. Three boxes of pizza just just decimated, right? Ah. And we're just sitting there. And I'm standing there. I don't even think I have saliva in my mouth anymore, right? (laughs) He turns to me and he goes, hey, bro, I got to go to bed. And I fucking, I threw the controller. Fucking shattered on the fucking wall. I'm like, motherfucker, don't you? Ever call me up to play video games ever again if you're gonna punk out at 3 a.m. Well, how long were you guys playing for? It seemed it wasn't even overnight. It was 3 a.m. that Friday that he called me up. Like I was like, no, we're going the whole three days. Oh, you were gonna like? I was you ready. You're ready to grind it. And when I when when I get the taste of the meat in my mouth, yeah, then I'm in a different level and I don't want to stop. Pitbull. Oh. I can't get started. That's why. Damn. I don't have an off switch. See, I can't. I I can't do that. I. If not, I start to get frustrated because I, my, my, you know, my mobility and everything. I'm like, I'm tired and I'm messing up. I'm doing things that I shouldn't be doing. I'm losing online. You're, you're a perfectionist. Well, I mean, I'm a musician, so you're always trying to make it better and trying right. to make things right when right. it comes to your art. But video games, the same thing. And you're playing, you're trying your hardest because I play online too. But my game of choice online is FIFA. And, right. Uh, foot is like. Uh, your ultimate team, FIFA Ultimate Team. Yeah. So you get these cards of your different players, and you build your team up with with different players. And there's chemistry if they play in the same league or from the same country. If not, the line's red. Because people will try to put, oh, I just got all these players, Messi, Ronaldo, but they're not in the same league, so there's not going to be no chemistry. Right. So that, that plays a big role. Right. But there's guys on there that will have, like, the crappiest team, and they're so good, they'll destroy anybody. And you're, like, sitting there going, like, what the hell, dude? Give me a chance, bro. And, I, and I'm good. And I'm pretty good. I'm like, how is this guy doing all this? You know what I'm saying? But then there's tactics. There's formations. It gets real, you know, just like on Call of Duty, you can do right. the same kind of thing. Right. But so this is what I'm saying. When I get the taste of the blood, yeah. then I'm on one. And then I want to get so deep. And you can't, you got to, like, spend some time. Yeah. Right? 
When the problem is, is like I got this other thing called life that needs me to participate in it too. Yeah. Right. So if I was a guy that could handle my liquor, my video game liquor, yeah. I probably would just <laughs> like a gentleman play one hour here and then put it down. I'm not one of those guys. It's all or nothing. Yeah, I play it because each FIFA game online is 20 minutes. Right. So the, uh, that's not bad though. No, that's so, not bad. So it's like halftime, and then and then once you get through it, you're like, okay, four games. I'm tired. You know, five games, whatever, and I'm done. Have you ever had a game that uh, like kind of like influenced the rest of your day, where you're like, you had a a good or a bad. But it was like a, a game, and it, you can't really explain it to other people. I, well, you know what? That, that's where you have to kind of have that mind over matter. Because yeah. You have to, because sometimes that's just like watching sports for me too. Right. If my team loses, it can ruin my day. That happens and to me I'm all like the time. And I'm like sitting there going, "Yeah, he's a 49ers oh. fan." Yeah, so, I am too. Are you a 49ers yeah. fan? Nice. I've been yeah. since I was a kid. I supported the Chargers because I live here. Yeah. Right. But once the Spanos family did whatever they did, you know, moving right. to LA and all that. Yeah. I was like, man. I'm not even, I don't hate on L.A., but, you know, I can't. Right. right. Get rid of the freaking ownership. Maybe we'll talk and I'll support them. But I still watch them from afar like a like a scorned ex-lover. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm, you know? Yeah. <laughs> lose, lose, lose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a Seahawks fan because I grew up in Washington. Oh, damn. So, like, first of all, we were depressed for, like, years, right? And yeah. then, yeah. but... I had to live through the fucked up play on that second Super Bowl where they gave it to Homeboy to throw instead of just giving oh. it to the fucking beast mode when, to run right, it in. Against the, the Patriots. Rocks. Yeah. Bro. That was, Bro. That was just a dumb call. Bro. They were trying to be too clever. Bro. He thinks I'm going to run it, and I'm not going to run it. Where's, like, where's the faith in your boy? Dude, the date that I went there to the thing with? Yeah. Like, she had to get a dolly and just... Like dolly me out because I just froze in place after that play for like at least like like a month. What about Damn. the guy that you see that story? I don't know if it's true or not, but it was it was <laughs> one of those shows like where they show weird shit that happens like to people. It was like a, a college game and he froze because he was na- like you know shirt off with the with the the team's logo on his chest. Yeah, but he was sitting there. He drank so much that. <laughs> he froze to death. What? He froze to death? It was like mean, in Michigan or something like really? that. Like during the winter or yeah, something. Yeah, during the like winter a college game. game? Yeah. Like a, oh, my God. Yeah. And people didn't realize it, and then he just, <laughs> he, he died. Wow. He just froze to death in the stands? A yeah. kid? Yeah, you have to look it up. I, I, I'm going to look it up. That's crazy. <laughs> it was like a college dude. Yeah. You know the other dudes were like, quit fucking around and like this hitting him in the shoulder. stupid, man. Yeah, going out of a game and it's like you know twenty below and they're and you're wearing, wearing no it. shirt, no, no shirt. nothing, dude. It's crazy. And then you're drinking. You're I'm good. Right, yeah. tough guy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no shit. Um, you know, you know. Now that I've got two music guys here. Yeah, Sean's a music guy. All you're right. obviously a music guy. Um, I'm gonna confess something that you may or may not know, and you may think is ridiculous, or you might not. But it wasn't until two weeks ago that I actually took the time to listen to Bossa Nova. Ah. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. And... The Brazilian? I, yeah. 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 Subgenre of samba. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Ipanema. Yeah. I'm listening to it, and I go, where the fuck have I been? Oh. This is, like, a great... I mean, is it for every situation? No. But when you're relaxing on the weekend or at the beach and you put the bossa nova on 
Yeah. I'm like, fuck, this shit is fan-fucking-tastic. It takes yeah. you there. It takes yeah. you. That's what music is. It takes you to a place, right? Yeah. Like, if you listen to some gangster rap, you're ready to go mess some shit up, right? You're like, right. you know what? Oh, we're so-and-so at. I'm going to go get his ass. He owes me <laughs> right. some money, right? right? Right. And then if you listen to, like, some emo stuff, you're like, damn, man, I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's the same thing with that, man. That takes you to the beach it or does. takes you to a place where you're like it's a beautiful dude this is where I want to be right now it's you know very light well I'm gonna confess go ahead my, my Alexa every night storm sounds really I say Alexa play storm sounds and she'll play it for about an hour and I put my little diffuser with like you know lavender what, what's storm sounds it's a sa- it's rain yeah with like little like you know wilderness noises and then ambient and, sound and thunder and, right. and, rain, and it just in the background while you're while you're laying down going to Does bed. Does it remind you of a time? No, it's just peaceful to me. It's you just love like it. it's like I lay back and then it, and it's off when I wake up because it, she shuts it off like when I'm you know I'm sleeping. Right. Yeah. Right. And you can get like different ones like waves crashing and you're just like like. You know what? It's so true what you say because like there's times where. I do a lot of different writing, everything from like creative stuff all the way to like legal memos and shit that I have to do, right? Yeah. And in all of those, I'm always picking some music to listen to, not, and even it can have lyrics, it doesn't matter, but it gets me into a vibe. Exactly. Right? It gets me into a flow state yeah. of some kind where I can then start operating and, and working. I, what is that? What is your take on that? Like, what's, well, what is that? Obviously, has to do with, with with what you're going through and where you're at emotionally, spiritually. With because music is a spiritual thing to me. Yeah, that's why you connect to it. That's why when you, damn man, this song reminds me of when I was in junior high, dude. Or you know right. what I mean? Yeah, I hear that all the time, bro. Your your music got me through so much stuff that reminds me of 9/11 because the satellite record dropped on 9/11 on that exact day. So it's right. kind of like one of those things where so many people just connected to that and connected to what we were going through as a country right so i I mean i'm not laughing because i'm just it's just right laughing more at the sense of in the sense of like it's a trip and that's amazing like that's how we are with music to bake to break it bring it back to bossa nova yeah that's why i was trying to relate with all that going there going it's because that's that's always going to be in your memory now like dude i was listening to this and dude it just it it took me to this place and i it's always going to be that for you. You know, when I grew up, you know, I, I think that for human energy, like humans, right? Like you go to any sort of civilization or society or group and they have some kind of music that, that and, and it occupies different spaces of meaning. But mm-hmm. they all got some kind of like you can go even to the fucking highest like himalayan like mile up monastery yeah. and they're still got chanting and music up yeah, there right true. true and like when i was growing up on the reservation we would sing indian songs before school and when school let out mm. every day and it wasn't anything you know that was surprising and i and i read a book i can't remember the the theorist and he was saying that the original language of people was not talking. Mm. That there's a theory that it was singing. And yeah, that talking, I in believe fact... That. Do you believe that? I, I mean, look, man, they say musical... It, I mean, music music is a universal language in itself. And that's where we all connect. And the cool thing is subjective. There's not just, you have to listen to this. There's so many different sounds and different styles for everybody. Right. And, and different moods that you're in. Right. Like... 
dude, people break up music, they're gonna listen to something different, right? Angry, pissed off, they're gonna listen to metal or whatever the hell it is, right? Right, depressed. Uh, yeah, depressed, yeah. De- you know, Depeche yeah. Mode, you know, The Cure. Right. Or, right. you know, even sure. Morrissey, you know? Yeah. I yeah. love all that stuff. Yeah. Right. But the thing is, is like, it just depends on the mood you're in. And I, I still remember different tours I was on. You know, you're, you're on a plane and you're just like, dude, I'm sick and tired of traveling, but I have my headphones on. And there was a certain song that I was connecting to at, at that one moment. It reminds me of, oh, dude, that was when I was in Asia, mm. flying around. This is a trip, dude. And then when you hear that song, it pops on. You're like, oh, wow, it took me there. It took me to the Philippines, Dudutan with, with tribal, you know, that kind of thing, dude. So it's like, it's a beautiful thing. I think that's where people connect with the memories, and that's why people go to the shows. Oh, yeah, man. You know, Guns N' Roses. That, that time... Oh, that that you know that era we all remember when Welcome to the Jungle dropped. Oh man! We're just like, wow. oh, I mean, we all can so probably say, I oh, dude, I was in this grade doing this. Lost and that. my shit, right? <laughs> dude, you want to you want to know the song that caused me to lose my shit the most? And I'm gonna tell you, this was I wasn't even like primed for. I didn't know what the song was. Never heard it before. Heard it on a clock fucking radio in my room, like those little fucking yeah. cheap ass things with the red number. I know what it was. All right, Ebony and Ivory. Nah, come on. Nah. What was it from the era we were, the era I was just talking about? And it was a lick. It was a guitar lick. Okay. Okay. And when it hit, I was going to bed. Oh. Damn. I was a chubby fifth grader going to bed. Okay. Okay. It was a school night. Oh damn! This what song? Was, what song was it? I need to know. Okay, hold on, hold on. And I was later, I lay in the bed, and it comes on sloth, and it doesn't sound like anything, and then the lick hits, and it's money for nothing, dire straits. Oh. That lick, when yeah. it's like, ding, oh, yeah. I jumped up out of bed and was jumping and dancing on my bed by myself, completely based on that guitar lick. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good... beautiful thing, man. That's how powerful music is. It's amazing. People don't, I don't think, I mean, well, you get it. We get it in here. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that don't understand. They don't even go that deep. They don't understand. Oh, I just love that song. They, they don't know how deep it gets. You know what I mean? Right. Like, for me, I have a same story with U2's With or Without You. Oh, come oh, on. God, that's oh, a great okay. track. Waking, waking up for, was it junior high? Alarm goes off. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Shit, I gotta go to school, right? right? With or without you. And I'm like laying in bed, and it's like, with or without you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. I gotta get up. I gotta go to school, uh, dang it. <laughs> or what about, what about Run DMC? Yeah. Run DMC, which song? The Walk This Way? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I was looking I at mean, you because you're kind of more urban. Yeah, well, we I mean, all- I was definitely a hip hop kid. Yeah, and that w- that whole thing, that whole j- that whole era, influenced me, and even like Beastie Boys, Beastie like Boys. fucking uh, License to Ill, yeah, that, dude, that No Sleep Till Brooklyn, dude. That's a fucking oh, jam. Well, no, yeah. Paul Revere, man. Paul Revere was that, fucking just that me yeah. and my horse. I mean, you listen to that now, and it's yeah. still no one can use a backwards drum beat because yeah. of that. Because yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, true. Dude, that documentary, right? You've seen it, right? I haven't seen no. it. Oh, dude, it's on Apple TV Plus or Apple TV. All right. It's the documentary of the Beast Boys. It's basically Ad Rock and Mike D, because obviously, rest in peace, MCA. Right. So 
they're talking about their from beginning to where they're at now, going through the records in front of an audience. I don't know if it's in Brooklyn. Oh, I gotta see that. And they 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 have you know images behind them, and they're talking about Rick Rubin, Russell Simmons. Oh, I gotta see that. It's amazing. Rick I highly, Rubin. I highly recommend it. The Beastie Boy documentary. It's dope. Do they talk about their punk days? They talk about everything. Oh, God. All right. Well, that. listen. Look. Uh, listen, he's, he's a busy go. guy. Yeah, he's All right, listen. He's got to go. We appreciate the time you've given us, Sir Marcos. Awesome, Thanks for having me. I, the best thing that, I mean, not only just seeing you, but hearing about this Beastie Boy documentary. Hey, it's worth it to come down to SD every time just to get you in the room. That's oh, right. You got, what a sweetheart. He's the, he, and he's, he's the biggest heart on the show right That's now. Right. Nah, That's both of you guys are, right. man. You, you guys are good vibes, man. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And then and if people want to follow you or find out anything. I'm an Instagram guy. Official Marcos Curiel. Uh -huh. I mean, it's a it's French origin. C-U-R-I-E-L. Right on. <laughs> All right. We'll send everyone I, over there. I'm always on there, you know, posting stuff and trying to, you know, create some cool content. Positive, funny. And, you know, just what I'm everyday life doing stuff like this. If anyone wants to kick your ass on FIFA, where do they go? Well, where can they sweat I keep you? that. Listen, man, I keep that on the low low because then I get <laughs> spammed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm gonna play you right <laughs> no, now. No, I'll I'm play you, and I'm, I'm like, so I, I kept. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to create another account so I can do that. And a lot right. of people are like, "Do you should be playing on Twitch?" And right. Playing yeah. people on FIFA because right. that's a big game. Yeah. But people are so good, man. Yeah. I, dude, I'm like Division Five or Four. Right. And you know, it goes down. It goes the. The worse you are, it's ten. Yeah. And nine. Well, the higher you get, the better you are. Yeah. I yeah. can't get past five or four. Yet. Keep going. Listen, Dude, knock tough. on wood, baby. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Well, right. hey, man, I got to jump. Much. Thank you yeah. so much, guys. Thank All you right. for coming down. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate Until it. next time. Till right. next time. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That was badass. Yeah. I love that guy, man. Yeah, he's a good dude. And then, and then Denise. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, if Professor Denise is going last, then we talked to uh, OG Pop Lock out in the street. OG. That was weird. <laughs> that was just weird. It was so weird that it made you say weird, weird. You were like, that was weird. Weird. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, it was cool in the beginning. Then it was like, how do I get out of this? Hey, what you got? What I got? I got a question for you, man. I saw you dancing, doing your thing out here. What? 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 Are you? You're obviously a performance artist. What do you do? Man, I am 58 years old, keeping the old school pop locking going. San Diego. I love OGSD that. OGSD Poppers, original San Diego pop locking. So I'm Anthony Young. They call me Mr. Brother named Ed Pruitt up there in Los Angeles. Do his own thing. Gave me the name uh, three years ago. Christian me that name because I used to go by different names in San Diego. But, you know, you never name yourself. You let them name you. Right. So right. How long, how long you been pop locking? 
Man, I started back in 76 on the pop lock side. I was doing lock-in in 74 when I learned. I was like, I'm 58, man. So if you take, do the math way back. Right. I mean, by the time 85 turned around, life caught up with me, man. So I kind of took a break, raised the kids, all that stuff. And then the doctor told me to go swim, swim. I said, no, nah, man, it was like six years ago. I'm going back to pop lock -in. I so love that, because that's, that's exercise, that's body discipline, right? Right, with body discipline, uh, isometrics, all that stuff. So, you know, toning up and just respiratory, you know, that's, uh, you get winded, man, but you got to control that adrenaline flow, so I have fun with it. Right, you said you started off with locking, right? What, locking, back in 70, 72, what learned is, that. Explain that to the kids that don't locking? understand. Oh, yeah, on. come on. Hold on, man, this is live. We are, hold on, somebody hold my live. Hold on. I got you live. So locking. Right. Got a lot of here, there, all that good stuff. Right. That's a, I can't do like that. Like rerun done a little rerun, bit. Rerun, right. Right I, from uh, what's happening. What's happening, right. So that's all the high flips and, you know, all that acrobatic stuff. I can't do that no more. Right. And then I had a strong bass on the robot. So, you know, it's a... Yeah. Uh, boom. So I'm just... I throw a lot of mannequin work in there. It's like, Mama took you shopping. So you see those... All that crazy stuff. So, you know... Throw the lock in and we get the bang hit, throw the hits. Yeah. The dime stop. So I mix it all up and boom, you know, take it. I love it. Tick, tick, tick. If I'm really feeling good, get that vibrate going. Mm -hmm. Don't you way. Yeah. And I walk it. So I've been doing it so long, all the all the different styles, techniques. It's hard work and discipline. Right. So it's not like uh, I tell them kids when we were growing up, we battled. You know when us, you go first and we no, we just nose and nose, so you had to keep Right. Hey, you know. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things that they do now is go go. But do you ever watch those competitions? I watch them. I judge a few of them. You judge them? I, I when I'm at and asked to do it. Yep. You know so. Yep. And what? So what do you? What is the evolution of pop locking? What What have you seen? What What is? What is your pop lock theory okay. as it's moving forward? The old school, we try to stick to traditional moves. The new school, we want to do a lot of ground movements, a lot of break, breaker moves. Yeah. I ain't gonna mess with my white get on the ground. Right. So, so they do more of a, like, you know, the gymnastic stuff, the Kirkland Thomas, you know, right. flares and all that. Right. Which is really good, but we didn't work on that kind of stuff. Right. But they managed to bring that in and crump. They were doing a lot, it looked like they were fighting, but no. Again, his expression is so it's new school. You see a lot of the crump moves. Yeah. And you see that ground floor moves, which is the not breaking anymore, but it's like just more acrobatic stuff. Right. So, but you know, they learn to tie it in. But if you ask them to go back to the early 70s, they don't have a clue. Right. So I'm one of the few. I got some brothers on the couch, and one dude that had the bicycle, he's one of the old uh, key lockers. So we've been talking to OGSD encompasses everyone that was here in San Diego during the time of the, of the, of the pop lock. Yeah. So it didn't matter what crew he was. I allowed him to say, come under the umbrella, because you were here in San Diego back then. You're still here now, still live. That's our exercise. Yeah. One of your sleeves, you put your group in that you was in. Right. So we all in that umbrella. Right. LA's got his thing. San Diego's got his thing, too. So yeah. it's time to get on the map. And I, I run from San Diego up to Washington State. Yeah. Okay. I love Seattle. That's where I'm from. Oh, I was up there like two years ago. I went to go see OG Winston. Okay. Yeah, he, he plays where they throw the fish in the fish Jimi Hendrix people from Washington. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. check it out. I do. I know. I grew up on a the reservation there. Oh, what's, the, what's the place got that big Ferris wheel? 
It's downtown Seattle. Right. I was gonna have them. They charged me two hundred bucks for a steak, but I got down anyway. Yeah. While I was waiting on that meal, I said they got down for them. Yeah. And then uh, I went down and saw the, the, uh, the guy selling the music. So I right. bought like six CDs back here. Showed the love up there. Showed the love uh, in Arizona. Yeah. Tempe Stadium. Yeah. I, I went to ASU. Oh man, you've been everywhere. Sun Devil. I have been everywhere. So, so you're a Sun Devil. Hell yeah. Well, this is what I'm trying to do with that. San Diego State. I love San Diego State Aztecs. Yeah. And I love Sun Devils. Yeah. So I'm trying to get them to the next football game. Okay. I, went, so I saw Sun Devils play at Kent State. Mm -hmm. I was suited and booted. <laughs> so I hope I'm trying to get the San Diego State Aztecs and the Sun Devils here. So Aztecs go there, Sun Devils come here. I'm trying love to get it. that going on. So again, connect with all the OGs. I'm 58, so if you're 55 and better, because I've watched guys over 70 years old, they're still getting down. I'm still learning from them. So how can our listeners find you on Instagram to follow you and learn Instagram, about Instagram, okay. I'm not really active, but I do have M-R-A-M-Y-O-U-N-G-123 is basically Mr. A Young, A-M Young. Yeah. 123 is the Instagram. Yeah. But I stay on Facebook because my friend, he, he runs uh, the code filler. He runs... 15 OGSD pages. Okay. And basically just different diversity. So we're in the pop locking, singing, a karaoke. We do artwork. I do crafts. So we just, everything's for someone out there. So like, if you're sitting at home saying I'm bored, you go on Facebook, well, hey, we got some everything. But we have the OGS, OGSD pop lockers page. Okay. The official fan, was it? The official OGSD fan club. Okay. So that, we have a guy, Paul Rudick, he's in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He has some uh, LA experience. He's sitting out there, retired Marine Corps guy, and he's uh, 60, and he's running the fan club page. So, like, my hands it out, he, he runs that. The goal is there's only two of us here in San Diego that's actually doing the OGSD pop locker page. Right. Uh, Russell Palmer, J.B. Palmer, he's 61. And I tell them, if something happens to us, we drop off, we got somebody else to keep it going. Right. So it's not like we're, we're just the vanguard. But we're actually trying to get encouraged anyone that's got an uncle or a father that still gets down to join up with us because I can't tell the story on everything. Mr. OGSD Pop Lock. Right, right. Thank you, sir. Man, I got gear. No, I, I design everything, so I'm a walking billboard. Shout out to my boy Larry Bowens because he told me he's from Pomona. Yeah. And we're up there to uh, the number 10 Pop Lockers. No, it was 11 annual poppers. Uh, picnic. They got one going on today. It was the 12th one up in uh, Carson. I love it. Yeah, so, hey, All they're right, doing sir. it. I'm doing Thank it. Thank oh, you very much. Thank it's you. Your yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, keep it going, man. Right on, man. Thank you. Thank you. What, I'm trying to see what you're The Hard, the hard, hard Luck, luck show. show. Hard Luck Show. Now, oh, where can yeah. I find you guys? Yeah. Go find us. Google Hard Luck Show. And they'll take you right to our, our podcast. You'll be able to listen to everything. Instagram, The Hard Luck Show. Instagram, the the hard biggest, luck. hardest podcast in Southern California worldwide. Um, all right. So, yeah. Uh, okay. But Denise, let's, let's talk about Denise real quick. Uh, you like Denise. Well, she was, I think she was the most important guest just because of what she had to say. Right? Yeah, but like. I, I want to bring her back. Like, I think what she, she's a fantastic guest. Right. So the issue, the, first of all, Okay. Professor Denise, Cal State University professor, Chicano Studies. She's there. She's been writing about lowriders and Chicano culture for 20 fucking years. So this is a lady that is steeped in the shit. Like, she knows. So it's cool because that's essentially what's going on there, like, in the moment. You have a high concentration of all the different 
everybody, the tattoos, the fucking graffiti, the food, the people, the music, the cars, the fucking whatever, and the location. You had a high density, right? A high density of, of really talented Chicano culture stuff that was right there. And then we just happened to be talking to Professor Denise, who, who could actually help us organize it and give us another take on it and some things to think about, including her own personal understanding of, of curation and how curate is being used today. And she cut her teeth. Well, I don't know if I should say it, but let's just put it to you this way. She cut her teeth on real curating at a certain museum here in Los Angeles that's super uh, famous. And I'll leave it at that. And so, yeah, she was like the perfect guest to wrap up, add meaning to, and underscore everything you and I just kind of bumbled along and discovered while we were there. Okay. Good. Good to go. All right. So we're here with Denise Sandoval. Am I saying the last name, name right? All right, yes. great. Denise All right. Sandoval. Sandoval. I like that authentic shit. I want to be yeah. as authentic as possible. Sandoval from another center of low riding, Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's a big center. Mm -hmm. So papillas? So papillas and green and red chili. Yeah. All right, why don't you tell some of our listeners who don't know anything about Albuquerque uh, and sopapillas in New Mexico and all that stuff. So what is a sopapilla? It's kind of... Okay, I think Mexicans, we think about buñuelos, right? That are uh -huh. kind of like hard. It's more like a puffy, softer, right. Right, fried. And right. they also can eat it with honey, right. sometimes cinnamon and sugar, or just straight. So right. it's kind of like... Kind of like an Indian taco. It kind of has that texture of the Indian fry bread. But yes, and it's yummy. Awesome. And you were telling me on our way over here that you've been writing about lowriders for 20 years. Yeah, so... My family roots are in East Los Angeles. So I have that classic Chicano story, you know, family from East LA. Yeah. I grew up in La Puente. So low riding was always around my neighborhood. But it actually took me going to college, right, um, at UC Berkeley. And I found like old issues of Lowrider magazine, right, in the, from the 70s. So I was like, what the hell is this, you know? Right. Um, and Were so you in the Berkeley, like the UC Berkeley Raza scene? Like, yeah, I, my, I was a Chicano studies, ethnic studies major. Yeah, yeah so I went there. <laughs> See, Sean's the looking. Connection? Sean's looking at me because I got my undergrad at UC Berkeley as okay. well, and yeah. I had a girlfriend, Martina. And Martina, if you're listening to this. Uh, I'm married and I love my wife, but you are a great lady and I appreciate your time. Martina was way, she was at UC Berkeley, she was way into Chicana studies. I mean. Yeah, so I think like Berkeley, especially, I'm oh, probably older than you, so this was like the early 90s. Um, I think Berkeley gave me the language to understand. Like for the first time I took a Chicano studies class, you know, I was like, what is this, right? And I think growing up where I grew up, in high school, the only cultures I connected to were like African American. Like, why, you know, I love James Baldwin. I right. love Langston Hughes. I love Native American. And I realized when you're growing up, like, that's the only language you have of the other. Right. right? And then Berkeley sort of gave me the language to like connect my history or like my culture for the first time, right? Yeah. I think when you're growing up, like, you know, I was Hispanic. That's what I was being told that I was, you know, and I went in as Berkeley, into Berkeley as a Hispanic, and I graduated as a Chicana, you know, because... What's the difference for people who don't know? Well, the difference is, well, 
the Latino Seriously. community, right? It's, it, there's been a lot of ethnic labels to right. sort of use to identify us, right? It's very complicated. Yeah. And I teach classes on, you know, race and ethnicity. And I think the Latino one is crazy because it's an umbrella term, right? So Hispanic was sort of a term that was recreated and used for the first time in the 1980 census by the government. Right. And it was based, you know, on Hispano, right? That They use in New Mexico, they use Hispanic, Hispano a lot. Um, but... Before that, you would see in the census, like Mexican right. would be on the census, like in the 1930s during the de deportation of Mexicans after the depression. Right. Um, Spanish surname, you know, uh, was on the census. So it was this idea to like, you know, come up with a different label. And so was, they came up with Hispanic. Was the label that they came up with in the 80s, was that, or whatever it was, was that his, it like Hispaniola, right? Hispano. Did that, was that an attempt to try to do a pan? Yeah, like an umbrella term, right? right. Like, like, you know, we have, like, we have like Asian American. But the problem with it, right, is that the Hispanics sort of highlighted our white roots, right? Uh, from being Spain. colonists from Spain. And it leaves out our indigenous roots. It leaves all like, in our Listen. family, we have like German, you know, right. um, uh, Lebanese, you know, there's all these diversity in Latin America. In South America, there's quite an exodus of Europeans to that area along with. Uh, a real diversity in the indigenous peoples. They're not all the same either. So you got, and also. And Japanese. Japanese, like into areas like Peru, where like their president, they had a Japanese, you know, Peruvian president. There. And Africans. And Africans. Right? Mm hmm. So, okay, so, so, so then from Hispanic, then how does it evolve out of that to stop well, privileging think, the Spain part? Well, I think. Latino became the new term that they kind of settled on because of the problems that some people were raising about Hispanic. Right. Um, and again, we have to be clear, Hispanic Latino is an ethnicity. So if those of you that fill out the census, you're asked still to check a race box, which is Caucasian, right. black, Indian, right. right, or other, right. Asian is the other one. <laughs> um, so if you're Latino Hispanic, you're having to choose like white, majority of Latinos do choose white, right? I have um, a lot of Chicano friends or Latino friends that they think they're white. Yeah. Or, you know, you're like me, you check the other, right? Uh -huh. And sometimes I put crazy things, you know, in there. Right. But, um, yeah, so I think those labels, it... Wait a second. Let's back up real quick. Yeah. This is interesting to me. So it's true because I was in a doctor's office and I'm married to a Guatemalan descent woman, right? She's Latina. I guess she calls herself Latina. She does not call herself Chicana. She says that's something different than what mm -hmm. I am. I'm Latina. I yeah. go, okay, I don't know. I'm American Indian and white mix. Yeah. All right. I was looking at the form for our daughter, and I and I noticed that there was a race thing, and then there was an ethnic Ethnic's, thing. Ethnicity. Yeah. What's the difference between race and ethnicity? Well, ethnicity sort of goes more to like culture, right? Culture, regions could be language, like sure. you know, religion, a lot sure. of different things. But race, it goes back, like here we go giving history lesson. I mean, that goes back to the times of when European countries were going to explore and colonize, right? And they right. were meeting all these people that looked different than white Europeans. So they started to create all of these categories. But race was based on then perceived biology? Biology and the idea that pure white Caucasian was superior. Or right? even was a true thing. They believed it to be true because they had to be superior and in their minds, right, not just their race, but their religion, Christianity, justified them 
right? Right. Killing Africans or killing indigenous right. people right. because they were doing God's work. Right. Right. And they, they were, set up, you know, these colonial orders like in Mexico, you had the castas. Right. Where your blood and your mixture um, pretty much set your social location yeah. in that society. Social, right. political, economic location. A different colonizing experience with the indigenous people from Spain and the Catholics than was the British and the Protestants. Yeah, which was a whole other area. So like, I think for me and my classes, I always say, look, as Mexicanos, we came from this history, right, that taught us white supremacy through Spain. Then when we crossed the border, the U.S. had their own history, right, of white supremacy because the Protestants and the English hated Spaniards. They hated Spain because you have to keep in mind, Spain ran the world bank for like over 500 years. I'll do you one better. That's absolutely true. And Captain Morgan, of which Captain Morgan Rum is named after, is named after a true guy who was given a license of mark to be a pirate against the Spanish that were taking silver out of Spain. And so he was the British bandit. Yeah. The British bandit ripping off the Spanish. So yes, the British did not like the Spanish. And the German Protestants did not like Catholics. How about that? Yeah, there was a lot of um, <laughs> uh, anti-Catholicism, anti-Spanish. In fact, the term that they used at that time was like Hispanophobia. Mm -hmm. That's an actual term. Mm -hmm. um, and even when they started moving west, you know, into the Mexican territory that was formerly Spain, yeah. you see some of that, you know, writing about why Mexicans were savages because not only did that that Indian in them, but they're like Catholics, you know, um, and Spain were evil savages. You this know? might be a good point of entry for the discussion about Bobby uh, Ruiz's mm -hmm. company, Tribal. Yeah. Right? Because, the, we, you know... Denise and I have been invited to be part of contributing to a book that is going to coincide with the big show, I think, that's happening in 2022. Next summer, right? Right. So we better get right now, right? And the, the idea is, is, I mean, I don't know what you were asked to do, but part, half of, a lot of it has to do with sort of looking at tribal and the, the decades-long uh, uh, art, culture... Um, shirts, business, business, right. All of that together and sort of using different lenses, maybe with more of an academic eye to maybe theoretically tease out some very interesting elements that you could say things about tribal and identify certain reasons. Maybe why it did last longer or is still here with us today and is now maybe, maybe it was a global brand before people realized that there was going to be a need for global brands. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense to what I'm saying? Yeah, to you? it does. And I think it all goes back to what we were talking about earlier to Bobby, because I think Bobby as a leader, you know, he has been that bridge that has brought all of these worlds together, right? That allows for these collaborations to happen. Right. And the way he includes, you know, artists have always been part of that. And right. some of these artists that or people that he's worked with have gone out and started their own, you know, right, companies, right. their own businesses. Right. And he is a mentor and nurtures him. Like, you know, when you sit and watch him, like he's a leader, you know, he, yeah. he's a leader uh, in the best sense of the word, right? right. Of being able to mentor. And um, I think that says something and speaks volumes about tribal. Right? So, so here we are, right? Tribal, car clubs, and we've got a mix of DJs, graffiti artists downstairs, all that different kinds of things. 
And everybody is overusing the word curate these days, mm-hmm. right? Okay. I love that question. Right. So let me ask you, what's the difference? I mean, really take us through your experience, some thoughts you have about what it really means to curate. What is curation? What are cultural elements that are worth selecting or highlighting? How, what, what is your approach? What is your thought? Okay, so, you know, coming from, obviously, the other side of me is academia, right? And I've yeah. also... Where do you teach? I teach Chicano Studies at Cal State Northridge, which right. is the second oldest Chicano Studies department in California. All right, so listeners, Mr. and Mrs. Earbuds, right? You know, you're going to, like, Al Roker's Community College right now. we got a real professor right here. <laughs> Better listen up. You might be able to get into uh, uh, some higher education that might pay off later. Get your degree in Chicano studies. All right, go ahead. Yeah, so doctor in the house. Yeah, The doctor, I can heal your mind, right? Empower your mind. I always tell my students that they always tell you that knowledge is power, and I don't agree with that. It's what you do with that knowledge that's power. Right. And I always tell my students I want them to be agents for social change and warriors for social justice. Right. So to get back about curation. Yes, but, do it. Um, you know, obviously the word curator and curating, it comes from sort of like the museum and art world, which is like being extremely selective, right? Elitist. Also elitist. Right. Uh, maintaining white supremacy, class values, male privilege, all, you know, all the isms, heterosexuality, we can talk about all of that, right? Right. Right. But um, I've noticed that, too, that people throw the word curate around when to just mean organize. Right. right? To ju- they're just organizing something. Right. Or you didn't really curate a show if everybody who submitted art is on the wall. I told right? my wife, I said, I say, are you going to can you please make the table? Set the table. She goes, I'm a woman. You don't tell me. I'm like, look, I'm not telling you to do something. I'm asking you to curate. The table. Yeah. So and she didn't. Did she throw food in your face? No. She okay. loves me. Right. She loves me. She I puts up like, with me. An apple would have flew in the air. Um, <laughs> but I feel like people use curate um, to mean like they're the organizer. Right. Like, and that and being a curator, um, there's an element of organization. Sure. But there's also sele- thought process and selection, right? So like for instance, Taste. when I curate my shows, I have to go like, what is like, what is the goal of this show? Right. right. And everything that's on the walls has to support that vision right. that I have. Right? right. And then also as a curator, you have to have your, like, artistic voice. Yeah. You know, I think for me, uh, a little bit about how I got into curation, you know, I wasn't trained in that. I was working on my Ph.D., the Peterson Automotive Museum. This was, like, 98. Oh, my they God. Wanting- when was Biggie killed right outside that? Right a year before, like, around right. that time. Right, um, So everybody knows the Peterson. That's where Biggie, yep, was yep. shot. Yep, um, It's one of the few museums dedicated to automobile history and culture in the United States. Right. So they were wanting to curate their first exhibition on low riding. And I applied for the gig because I was, you know, in my Ph.D. program, finishing up my classes, you know, um, I had already written a paper on low riding, so I thought, oh, this would be great for my dissertation. But look, I, I didn't know any low riders, right? So I applied for the gig, and I always tell people this story because it's about your path, how it unfolds for you. Like, I never would have thought, like, 20 years from now, here I am talking about low riding still, you know? Right. Um, so I applied for the gig, and, you know, they got me cheap because I was in grad school. So I learned about curation through that. And the other part of that is working in a museum where, like, you're the only brown face on the table. Yeah. For me, it was like my training in Chicano studies taught me is 
I'm not representing myself and my vision. It's my community. Yeah. Right. Their their interests, their language, their heart has to be at the center of whatever I do, so that anything I do has to be authentic to that community. Wait a second, though. Let's let's get down to brass tacks because it's interesting that you say that, and I know that's true, but. There are a lot of artists who don't have that pressure on their shoulders. Yeah. Right? Like a Picasso might not actually be saying, I'm representing all of my community. He's just taking care of Picasso yeah. and he has that luxury. Yeah. But because you're breaking into a situation where people have been kept out of, there's the added element like, I got to represent the community. I can't just talk about You Denise. can't just talk about, or, it's you know, what's my interest, but also because. That low riding community in LA, they knew the Peterson Museum. Right. Right. They're, because low riders are car lovers. Right. And they realize that mostly all the car sh exhibits that they've been to are focused on non Chicano Latino exhibitions. Right. Right. So they understand how it's important that a museum like that would honor them, right? And honor that story. So th doing that work, that's when I got to meet all the old car clubs in LA, like, you know, Fernando and Julio from the Dukes, rest in peace, Jesse Valadez Sr. Hey, with we, Gypsy Rose. Gypsy Rose, I was telling Sean about Gypsy Rose, because you see a lot of Gypsy Rose influence lowriders out there, Yeah, right? the influence aesthetically, as well as like, for me, coming from the Chicano studies world and the art world, art history, you know, Chicano artists started using the lowrider as a symbol and icon to represent Chicano culture and identity in the 60s, right? Right. right? And the whole Chicano art, you think about like, there's always lowriders, right? In the in the art, in the community. Just like African-Americans have always been a part of lowriding too, but you know, they're not, of the history. I don't know that, I, that's true. And the only thing I would point out is I don't know how aware the great, like it's been a lowriding in, in, in its aesthetic through a lot of hip hop and American, in African-American art has sort of, been absorbed or accepted more into the mainstream, right? Yeah. But I don't know that everybody that has come into contact with that understands just how deep the, the Chicano roots are for roots. that. Or going even back to the Pachuco culture. Right. Right. Like even today, here we are in June. I bet you in any barrio across Aslan, there is a quinceanera or a wedding happening, and instead of limousines, there's low riders. Right. Instead of tuxedos, they're wearing pachuco suits. Right. Right, zoot suits. Right. And that's not happening in the African-American community, exactly. right? Exactly. So it's part of the way we remember our history. It's nostalgia. But it's, again, important to even how the younger generation looks at that past, right? As that, the pachucos, that again, the zoot suit comes from black culture. There's no doubt about it, right? But um, jazz culture. But I think it's also thinking about how the pachucos created their own language, their own style, right? And resisted through their bodies the forces of Americanization. What is the difference? Oh, okay, I will say this. It's interesting you say that because even with the lowrider and some of the classic car elements, they are resisting. And at the same time, they're also maintaining mm -hmm. some of the most American traditions. Right. And right? I, I always think about lowriding, exactly what you said. It reminds me of hip hop. Right. It's something that started from our community with black and brown communities. Yeah. We used what we had to create space, to create an identity, to express who we are on our own terms. So, you know, hip hop. You know, for graffiti, use the neighborhood, use the subways, voice, right, to create music, right. albums, bodies with dancing, right, low riding. Right. We used old cards that nobody didn't want, right, because after World War II, there was, uh, everybody wanted new cars because Detroit went to manufacturing new cars. So we started with old cars and customizing them in a way that, again, 
celebrates who they are. Because at, at those times, they weren't necessarily considered classic cars, and there was a big rush after World War II to face forward to the future. Everything yeah. was designed like a fucking rocket. Now we live, we are like drowning in nostalgia now, right? Yeah. Like in a way that in the 50s, you weren't. In the 50s, it was like, what's next? Tang. You know, shit that fucking astronauts are drinking. Let's all drink that. Let's. Everything was trying to be forward-looking in a way that today, I don't think we have that same aesthetic. Right, and it's because, you know, our communities in that time were coming out of forced segregation, racist policies that limited where we lived. Yeah. So, like, I remember there was an exhibit, uh, the Automobile Club in Southern California did a photo exhibit of black and Latino people, uh, families um, in the, you know, 40s and 50s, and how families would take their pictures in front of their house, in front of their car, like family portraits. Right. Like you see, and you see some of those in old issues of Lowrider magazine. Think about that happening today. People aren't doing that. But why? Because that generation, you have your home, your car, that means the you dream. made it. It's the American dream. Wow. That's right. right. And I think it speaks a lot about even white people were doing that too, right? Of sort of that 1950s, 1960s world. Um, and I think it's something, again, of what that American dream was. And some could argue that dream is still there, nope. but it's also a nightmare. No, listen, let me tell you something. I was part of a legal team that worked on class actions against the predatory lending that was going on in 2007 or whatever it was, right? And then the housing bubble. And what you had was, uh, uh, that was maybe the last gasp of the American dream, which right. was the idea was you're going to own your own home, right? right? And ownership in private property was something that was kind of like, in a sense, even though brown and black and, and, and whoever else, red, were not allowed to own anything, or if they could, they had to fight, work twice as hard. But the idea was you were going to own something privately, and it was yours. Right. Right? And, and, but now, that idea of private ownership is dissolved into debt and subscription. Yeah. Right? That's where we're at now. Or, or the culture industries have turned it into commodities, like our cultures. Right. And I think it's an acknowledgement that we are getting to a place in the development of the global economy that it's no longer going to be possible for every single person that be privately own their own little piece of paradise. Right. The world's too small. Right. And so or, guess, or the haves have too much they have and they're too not much, giving right? it up. So you think about, well, what are people left with? Instagram, TikTok, right? So you think about how people are still using culture yeah. right, to create their, their little sense, I exist, I exist. Right. But you go back to like, let's say hip hop and low writing where there was like no cameras, like people were living it, right? It was their everyday life, they were living it. They weren't right. just living for their two minute um, right. Instagram video hit right. Right, or TikTok. And I think when you sort of think about, um, especially for people of color, uh, the one thing we have is our culture, yeah. right? The one thing that we have is where we live, our space, our bodies, right? And so our culture, to me, I'm a big, I totally believe that we resist culture, right? We use culture to resist, to affirm our identities of what it means to be American. And even like with Native Americans, like um, my friend, uh, who uh, Douglas Miles, who has Apache skateboards, yeah. right? On the reservation, it's like skateboarding, like hip hop, graffiti, like yeah. low riders out there too. So I think that culture is something that we share in the Southwest as Mexicans, as Native people, as African American, as Asians yeah. um, as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, we probably don't have time to get into this, but what, for, number one, I would like 
to invite you back to our show, whether we do it through Zoom or whatever, to talk through some of these other issues because I'm producing a documentary right now, which is called Westlos. And it's about the West Side and lowriders and the neighborhoods and the way the freeways developed these neighborhoods that used to be a Chicano unity, right? And how gentrification has displaced a lot of folks, but that it is these more mobile icons of cultural art, which is a lowrider, that most of us are probably going to have to turn to to say, I own that. That's mine. And, and, and while it can be sad to say this neighborhood, which I'm American Indian, so I'm going to tell you straight up, it's like, as much as I, 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 I appreciate people's loyalty to the neighborhood, at one time that was Indian land. Mm-hmm. So, and, and even during when, when people were losing their homes because they were getting foreclosed on, I was like, so, so what are you upset about? The, some corporation came in and took your home? You don't like that? You, don't, you thought you owned that? You had a deal with the bank and then they're not honoring it? And now you don't have a home to live in? Now you got to move somewhere else? Don't tell that to an American Indian. You're not going to get any sympathy. That's yeah. how this country is built. That's, That's how, how this country so is like, built. What do, so what do we have left to do? And I think one of the things um, right now, I'm working on a lowrider oral history project with the Smithsonian. So I've been up in the Bay Area. That's what brought me down here to San Diego. Um, and I would say that even larger, where I think lowriding, this is not being documented, is that it's becoming a tool for social justice and it's becoming a tool for empowerment. In San Jose, in the San Francisco Mission here in Chicano Park, they use lowriding as a way to bring community together. Right. And like in the mission, they use lowriders at the mission to have a vaccination event. Right. right? To have a food bank. Right. Uh, in San Jose, the lowriders there, like they were uh, trying to whitewash some of the murals and they're out there protesting, right? right? So I think like there's also that other side of it, you know, like Albuquerque, the city gave them like space to like set up and low ride every week. They put low riders in Albuquerque airport. Like I'm like, that would never happen in LAX and we're the center of low riding. So to me, what's inspiring, there's all these areas where low riders, yes, it's about expression, but it's also about community giving back and also fighting. Um, for social justice and fighting for equity. And I think that's a story that uh, we don't always hear. And I'd like to say it's happening in L.A. on a large scale, but it really isn't. I, I'm getting inspired when I come to San Diego, when I go to San Jose, when I go to the mission, uh, Albuquerque, of like, wow, like, I love it. Because low riding, yes, it's about the cars, right, the music, the dress, but it's also about what are we doing in service of our community, of our cities, right, of the next generation. Because you even talk to the guys here in San Diego, and they're saying there's a a lack of of guys in the clubs now in their 20s because lowriding has become so expensive. Right. And so it, so these guys who, you know, they're like older guys in the clubs are like 35. Like lowriding is so popular like just like hip hop, but we're losing a generation this because is, of the, the economics. And then how do we continue to nurture that next generation? It's not just the economics. I mean, it's the economics in a sense that, <clears throat> as you are saying it, that is the demand is driven up the cost yeah. to enter into this thing. But also the young people aren't the job, the paying jobs aren't there. Yeah. And the weed is now legal, <laughs> right? It's not like in the, there was a certain period of time in the 90s when selling drugs, you could actually make a lot of money, and a lot of money was going around, and there's good and negative with that. 
but I don't think the, 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 the environment's the same as it was. And I think that's why you see young people having less economic power than they did before. And, 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 and then the demand is going up. And then you have people who are just buying their way into it. And I think from a capitalist standpoint, I think that is the natural cycle of things, right? The, the, the wealthy, the elites tend to not be able to create anything new on their own. The people that have nothing, so therefore they're creative, mm -hmm. they build something, and then the elites price it out of the market and then obtain ownership. And so with the documentary, the idea is we don't know necessarily which way all this stuff is going to go, but unless we document that these are more than just tricked out cars, like you say, there's a cultural aspect to it, that these are... These are curated cultural mobile devices and they're also tools for empowering our community in the fight for social justice so i think that for me when i think about that legacy like the dukes you know um the imperials like they were having car shows for cesar chavez like the guy who started sunny madrid who started lowrider magazine he was working at san jose state throwing car shows for Cesar Chavez, mm -hmm. right, in the farm workers. And he got the idea to start the magazine. He was inspired by Chicano zines, like on Sapo's literary magazines, and realized, what if we had a magazine that represented low writing that could also teach people their history and inspire them? So when you look at those old issues that were like short story contests, poetry contests, obviously pictures of varios all across for the, the, the Southwest, Aslan, that, again, empowered, like, they were, the magazine was for Chicanos by Chicanos, and it was created by this purpose that it was about empowering right, our community. And then, yeah. of course, the magazine got bought, things shifted over time. So I think that need is still there, right? Is that, Absolutely. That, and I think when you were talking about this new generation, I think we have to add on like social media and the virtual way that community is being um, manifested. So people belong to a community through their keyboard or through their phone. And what we're talking about is community that's like, I can see you, right? I can talk to you. There's something about having space and having place. Right. Not that we, the virtual world is like, let's throw it away. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, uh, you know, sometimes I, even my students, I've seen the shift, like they can't even have conversations oh, for sure. with, with, you know, they'd rather talk through the phone or they'd rather send me an email. Like when I started teaching, I've been doing teaching for over 22 years. You're Students not old come, enough for that to off, be true. Yes, I'm old lady. Office hours, the people would come, right, and yeah, sit down. Now yeah. it's like you, hardly ever, you right. know. Um, so all of those things are important, too. That, that those when I was coming up, you used the office hours to try to talk the teacher into giving you a better grade than no, you deserve. Imagine the office hours were the only time you'd have to sit in front of that office and wait that they show up. Like, you didn't even have phone number. It was crazy. Like, now the students think that they can text, like, send me a message. And, like, they'll send me something on Friday night at midnight. Saturday morning, I'll be like, why haven't you uh, responded? I'll be like, look, you're not paying for my time 24-7. Like, I had to put in my syllabus, I don't check email uh, Friday through Sunday. Because they think they can get a hold of you at all hours. I right. said, you're not paying for me 24-7. You couldn't right. afford me. Right. But imagine we come out of a time where, like, you literally had that little window I go wait. sit at the office. I would wait in the hallway. In there the were hallway, three people on the floor. Yeah, and it was like a professor. And it was like, and I'd be like trying to be like, you know, buttering them up and be yeah. like, listen, you and I, we're the same, really. And be like, listen, don't give me all that. Just, did you do the paper or not? And I'm like, well, that's the thing, see. And 
that was office hours was there to make personal contact with the professor so that you wouldn't just be a number, not yeah. texting and sending or emails. Or ask questions. So like, and I think what I'm getting to is like the the shift of our culture and the work we do being mediated by this virtual world that um, has created more work for us, has changed demands. Right. But on a basic level, like even though you have Instagram and people creating community through social media, yeah. there's something about like coming to an event at Chicano Park. That's right? true. In the, in the real. Or and like, being there. Or, and connecting. And I think that's the other thing. The elders sort of connecting with the older generation. Because sometimes I feel like the older generation, or even my gen, Gen X, they're like always dissing these millennials. Like, ah, they don't know anything, or they don't, oh, they don't know what they're doing, or well, no. we did this, and we, and I'm like, that's that, that's bullshit. That has to stop because the only way they're gonna learn is by having conversations and by true dialogue. Like, I, not that I have all the answers. I have some, but my students have so many answers. And I think even though these millennials are always getting bashed, let me tell you, they're so creative. You know, like yeah. they're creating zines, they're creating robots. They're creating jewelry, like yeah. all these things, music, yeah. art in a way that like when I started teaching 20 years ago, students were not being creative, you yeah. know? And, and, and so that, that inspires me, the creativity of the younger generation. But how do we tap into that with the knowledge, right? And the language that they need, right? To really, like we say, pick up the torch, right? And continue I, I don't know. I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I agree with you. I just think that ever since advertisers got a hold of the world, They've created these, this notion of generations. And I think, like, I mean, if you even read in ancient Rome and what, like, Julius Caesar was wearing a new thing and all the older senators thought that, like, oh, what does he know? He's just, you know, knew he never had to do X, Y, and Z. It just seems that there's a, there's just a kind of, probably due to human subjectivity, there seems to always be this sort of, golden age fallacy looking down at the newer ones the newer ones don't feel understood and then eventually the new ones who don't feel understood look at the younger generation as well they didn't go through what we had to go through and i think that i'm not saying it's natural i'm saying in this system that's been created it seems to be like that's what happens and i don't I don't but that's why we need more ethnic studies. You know, California has approved ethnic studies classes in K through 12, or more Chicano studies ethnic studies. Because in our class, like in our classes, we are teaching that, right? We're teaching that of not just yeah, understand all that Roman and all this, but how are we going to resist, right? There's still racism in our world, classism, homophobia, sexism, right? Yeah. So like, they have to see that they're part of that solution. So the world has made them feel like. I can't do anything, right? It's just I, so big. But, like, think about the past generations, right, that, like, put their lives on the line, literally sacrificed their, their lives for what we are enjoying today. That's right? well, true, but I'll say this. At the time that those people were sacrificing their lives, they were doing it because they believed in it. They didn't know well, how it was... look at the Black Lives Matter. I mean, I think this whole George Floyd, this last year in this pandemic, I'm, I'm and very... Trump. Ho I'm very hopeful. Yeah, let's. That's a whole other discussion. I have to talk about where's the hope and where's the change. It's in, and I, it's with the people, right? It and, is with and the people. But power to the people. Power to the <laughs> power to the teachers because yeah. it's people who are carrying education. Because what I've experienced, like I consider myself, right, a living embodiment of ethnic studies. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I grew up on a reservation. I'm not full blood, right? So I got shit on the res. I got shit off the res. But, right, my name is Chumahan. I'm a lawyer. I do all this other kind of stuff. Okay. So the issue is 
when I think about what it means for ethnic studies, because I've also been in other se- other sides of things, because along with power to the people is also that no matter what group you belong to, you always have to also keep an eye on that group maintaining its coherence by crushing your individualism within the group. Oftentimes this is manifested by the women inside of a brown or a yellow or red or green white movement. Oftentimes in a patriarchal society, sometimes women are put in a situation where they're given a false dilemma like, hey, you either support this movement the way it is, but we're not backing your rights as a woman, or you're allowing the government or the dominant party to take over, right? And so I'm thinking about all that, and I'm also thinking about poor white people. I thought about that a lot, because that seems to be not being able to somehow wrap our arms around them and bring them into the movement, whatever that is, power to the people, right? That seems to be, to me anyway, at least one of the keystones to really having meaningful change. And I look at the current situation here, I'm hopeful too, for sure. But I think we can't do it without a real plan of what society should look like. We're real good at having fucking protests and we'll shut the shit down and we'll fucking blow it all up and occupy and even Black Lives Matter. That's a real issue, right? But what happens is, and this is something that Slavoj Zizek has brought out and I agree with it, and that is this. What then? Yeah. If you don't have a plan for what the future society is going to look like, it's going to the wave is going to come up and it's going to crest and we're going to be right back into the same shit kicking the can down the road. It's so funny you say that because I was just at a table talking about how I'm always teaching my students to create a plan in life. Like plan is so important. Even if it's a short term goal, right? Um, Because that means there's steps and work that goes into that plan. And I'm always about telling my students always have a plan B and plan C. Because I've also remember in my 20s where I was all plan A and then that didn't work out. So I was like, I didn't have B and C, right? So I'm always t- teaching them about planning, right? And I think that's so important because even if it's short term, okay, what do we want, you know, in this next year? But how about in the next five, the next 20, where do we want to be, right. you know? Like I'm on the board of Tia Chicha Centro Cultural, which is a, a Chicano bookstore out in the San Fernando Valley started by Luis Rodriguez, who's the award-winning author of Always Running, Gangs Days in LA that came out in 1993. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's that idea that, you know, the art space, like art and cultural spaces are important centers of building community, right? Teaching that knowledge that we're not getting in the schools. But even with that, like if we don't own our buildings, right, our, our, where we exist is always, like, transitory. We're having to move here and there, you right. know. Like, for instance, Self-Help Graphics that started in 1970, 71, in East L.A., um, printmaking, you know, brought all these Chicano artists together, still around. Like, finally, like, the city and the politicians are giving them access to buy their building that they're in. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, so important, right, yeah. to have that, right, is that not only do we need these places to exist, we have to have ownership of these spaces in order for them to continue. Professor Sandoval, where do people go to get your articles, learn about you, follow you? Uh, well, where I think, you, where Where, where I can know, the people feel, go to get, your I know, no, get I the knowledge? I feel like if you just type in Denise Sandoval, low writing or low writer, you'll find YouTube videos and things that I've done, um, and the last show I did, there was like 
a lot of uh, press on that at the High Art of Writing Low at the Peterson in 2017. But yeah, you'll find stuff if you just do a Google search. I wish I, I'm like that, like chingona about my work that I'll be like, I have an Instagram that you can follow and do this. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not ready to be an influencer. I like to still influence in the classroom. Well, can you please influence Sean Blue Eyes to learn, to up his game in curation? He's dabbled in curating. He still might be organizing at this point. I don't, look at his face. He gets mad. What are you talking about? I did 15 years of curation. <laughs> Did, and did what she said, did what she say ring true to you? Well, I was, I was a music curator. Is uh, that different? I mean, I mean in no, some there's sense. Thought, well, there's also just like a thought process to things. Yeah. Right. Thinking about what song am I playing, what's going to come after it, and why is this, you yeah, know, the order right. of the things, which either if you're doing an art show, it's the same way. Well, something you mentioned about being authentic to that really rang true with me because I feel like that's something I always want to reflect because I was working in electronic music communities and those people will fucking nitpick right. and nitpick. Right. If, you, if you get something wrong and you label something and it's just a little bit off, oh, you're going to hear about it. Yeah. Right. So that's what, I mean, even, even me now, when I evaluate someone else's curation of music, yeah. like Spotify, I look right. at their Yacht Rock playlist and I'm like dude that is not Yacht Rock that's like <laughs> and guess who gets to hear about it yeah. Deshaun will be yeah. like man fucking Spotify's Yacht Rock playlist yeah, it's like, like bullshit Kenny Stop. Loggins on there yeah it's more like Speedboat Rock Caribbean Queen that's not Yacht Rock that's not no, Yacht that Rock yeah. that came out like way after that right. you know just a great one of my last concerts I went to the Hollywood Bowl which is going to be my second summer not going right. one of the best concert was Michael McDonald oh yeah right with Shaka Khan now Michael McDonald Ooh, with Shaka yeah. Khan but, but Shaka's Good great. Lord. But Michael McDonald was on really? fire. Wow. Yeah, so he was on my bucket list. I'm glad I like like checked him off because he's amazing. We are gonna have to have you back when we don't have a soundtrack yeah. like playing in the background. Because this, this is driving. Yeah, you might have to well, come we up can, with but I want you to curate that soundtrack for me. Okay, right. I, will. <laughs> I think you should come back. I think this could be a friend of the show. Plus, we need right. to hear your take on Big Steve. Lux usually here. It's his yeah. grandson's birthday, so he can't be here, so I uh, would love for you and Luck to meet up again and we can talk about different things. The last thing we just talked about, by the way, was um, that um, Owen Thomas Phillips, the Cholani, that guy that painted himself red and wore all of that Indian stuff and claimed to be Indian and turned out to be a white guy from Florida. I'll show you later. Oh, that wasn't that was in the video. Was yeah, it, was prayers. It prayers is yeah. video. So he he hired that guy and he was. According to prayers, he doesn't know who that guy was, oh, right? Just yeah. you know, I don't know. And then anyway, but that guy turned out American Cholo, who puts out a lot of stuff, said that dude's not even a real Indian and he's not even from California. And so then Steve and I went to town discussing how we were introduced to that guy, and then we were like, yeah, that's something's not right with that dude. But we love to have you come. Bring your expertise, Denise. I love everything you were saying. It was so insightful. I, I'd really love to have you on again. Oh, I'd love yeah, to because be back. we we get to certain places. We have to. We talk to lifers. We talk to lots of different people that have lots of different experiences. And the interesting thing is, there comes a place in the show sometimes where we start talking about theory and like, where are we right. going? And I feel like what you were saying was very, very important and very thematic to like a lot of what we're t we talk about on the show. Absolutely. Wow. I'm there. I'm awesome. fucking there. Awesome. awesome. We love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. You know what? What? And as we say about this time, adios, amigos, from, from the, the Hard, hard Luck Show. And then Old Blue Eyes drops the mic. <laughs>
It's a professional. <laughs> it's real professional. Don't you worry. I, I love that though. Dropping the mic, it was necessary. Yeah. That means uh, we had a good show. We have time to get, well, that was a great show.